So, how do you hear God, or how does God speak to you? Understanding our experience with God requires deeper thinking and reflection about both the apparent presence and the apparent absence of this God. In this podcast, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle discuss their insights on the phenomenon, which is the experience of God. ESP, Thin Silence, and God's Footsteps, this week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. Today we're going to talk about what, Ari? What were you thinking? I want to talk about why God is so silent, or seems to be so silent to most people. Hmm. It's a week before, literally a week before Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year, and people are going to be going to services, and again, they'll be disappointed because God will not reveal God's self coming through the ceiling of whatever room they're in, (laughs) and they won't know what to do about it, and they Hmm. will say a whole lot of words, and they'll go out saying, well, I... I didn't hear anything. Right, right. So we have unmet expectations oftentimes when we think about how God should act, how God should speak, or at least how we would hope that God would, would do that. And a lot of people wonder and have asked me and probably have asked you, uh, how you hear God mm-hmm. or do you, do you hear God? Mm-hmm. They probably don't even ask how. They just probably ask do. Or they assume that you do because you're a rabbi or a pastor. They do. They do. And, uh, and, and sometimes when I mention that I, I do have a relationship with God, people ask me, do I believe in God? I say, I have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so, because um, I don't believe in God. Right. No, it's no, no, not. No, I, it's not Tinkerbell, right? Like you don't have no, to clap extra hard. No, I don't. Keep clapping, keep clapping. It'll give God life somehow. My right? hands started hurting at that point, and right? I just had to stop clapping. If you believe extra hard, and you really, really believe in God, does then God? You can, you know, you can really feel it if you have faith, extra, extra faith. That's right, and if, and and uh, and so, I I've had a relationship with God since I was like in second grade, but I didn't know the language for it. I didn't know the words for it. I didn't know with whom I was having this relationship. Mm. Um, Mm. I can do that story some other time. But but the biggest problem is that people just don't know how to hear God. And I, yeah, I think too, also just that language relationship, that's language Christians are very accustomed to. We always talk about, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I have a relationship with Jesus. Um, In fact, there's even a ridiculous like a a tchotchke that's sold not in christian stores but in lots of you know sort of ridiculous gift shops a little little figure called buddy jesus and buddy jesus kind of has like a thumb is that like the uh, dashboard thing right kind of like that right so but i but i think there's this uh, this language that's used within christian community of i have a relationship with jesus i have a relationship with the resurrected person of jesus um jesus is my friend we sing songs like that jesus is my friend which comes from the gospels jesus says i no longer call you servant i now call you friend so there's language for this but it gets a little bit um sometimes it can be a bit like god in a box right rather than or we'll talk about how jesus is in our heart and um, and even that um, conversation, like when I have that kind of conversation with my daughter, my youngest daughter, you know, she almost, I think the first time we talked about it, she tried to like look, right, to see, can I see him? Is it a tiny little man? And does his beard tickle? And all those kinds of things. So the, the limitation of our language when we talk about these things, but indeed a relationship with God. A relationship. And 
and the question is, how do you have a relationship with something that doesn't talk? Or if it talks, how do you hear? And how do you know it's God talking and not just your imagination? That's right. Yeah. Now, one of the things that will be different about the way we describe this is I will describe God as it. Mm-hmm. And you will describe God probably as he. Right. It's the language used in That's right. in our text by Jesus. So Jesus, of course, is a first century Jewish male. Right. So he is appropriate for that context. Um, but I'd say that even though Jesus says of God, Father, calls God Father, which that language is in the Hebrew culture, right? Um, Avinu, Malchenu will be sung very, very soon. Our Father, our King. Our Father, our King. Um, there's still an understanding just as there was in the ancient Israelite mindset that God was everywhere and the temple could not contain God. Solomon says, I can't build a place for you because you're everywhere. You're up in the heavens. You're down in the depths. There's nowhere in the psalmist says, there's nowhere I can go where you aren't. At the same time, I would say even though there's um, male language used for God or male pronouns used for God in a lot of those responses in, in our collective text, um, there's still an understanding that God even exists beyond gender, right? So God, God the Father in that language for is also a limitation at some point. All the words we use for God are limitations, and that's the problem because there's no word for God that is not in and of itself an idol. Mm. Because if you take those words too seriously, like mm -hmm. Jesus in your heart, would he have a beard that would tickle me? I right, mean, exactly. That's the kind of thing that you would think. There's no way you can not overthink these mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, how do you end up hearing mm -hmm. God? So there, there are different stories in the Bible about hearing God, and, and none of them, almost none of them, are relevant to people today. And the reason I say mm -hmm. almost none of them are relevant is because at Sinai, you know, the, God right. was extremely loud. Or with right. the concept of the prophets, and they heard God speaking, and God said to Moses mm -hmm. in specific mm -hmm. language, mm -hmm. and you don't hear those things. At least you don't n know that you hear those things unless you open up your mind to a whole other way. One of the, mm. the cool things about movies, about the Bible, since the 1990s, uh, there are a whole bunch of movies that were made by American, Italian things and they're uh, Hebrew Bible stories you know Abraham Isaac Jacob um, Esther uh, Solomon Jeremiah uh, the wonderful thing about that is whenever the main character hears God they hear God in their own voice interesting and uh, and and that is how huh that's how people one of the stories of how people heard God at Sinai that is, they all heard God in their own way and many in their own voice. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they were delusional and schizophrenic and talking to themselves. That's not the, the point. The point is that God speaks through the, uh, the efficacy of the people that are there. And so what God speaks through is their voices. And their language. And their language. So even if... Hebrew seems to be God's preferred language of choice for at least our first, for our, our shared text. It doesn't mean that God's still speaking Hebrew only today, right? So if an American Christian is trying to listen to God, they're expecting to hear God speak English. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I have a really good friend who is a, um, a Mormon 
scholar. He was the Mormon uh, chaplain at Stanford University when I was the rabbi there. And we got to be very close. And I once, since I spent a lot of time retranslating uh, traditional works into modern English uh, to give them more impact and freshness, I suggested that he should do the same thing with the Book of Mormon. He said he couldn't. Hmm. And I said, why? He said, because that was the holy language in which it was given to Joseph Smith. Right, right. It's in English. It's in it's in 19th century, mid-19th mm-hmm. century mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's goeth and cometh and it's biblical English. And they can't do anything about that hmm. because that's the holy language. It's like there are modern Hebrew translations of the Hebrew Bible. Right, sure. But the Hebrew Bible that we all use and read from in the in the services is the ancient Hebrew the way that it was done. It's at that a time. bit like the comparison between Shakespearean English and English spoken today. Exactly. Right? So, you know, when you're reading ancient texts, the same is true for the Greek New Testament that we have, right? It's it's different language. It's it's not the same. I got to say, it's really funny. So, when we whenever we have Israelis um, who are members of families of uh, people becoming bar and bat mitzvah, and and in our congregation, you don't have to chant it you, as long as you can read it. Um, and they would get up there and they would read it. But because they're Israelis, it's like tank drivers. They just go anywhere they want. You know, it's Yashar, Yashar, straight ahead, straight ahead. <laughs> they just start reading. And they assume that it's in modern Hebrew because they've really, right. many of these people have never really read the Bible much. Right. And you can always tell because they're reading it and they make the most interesting mistakes that hmm. are based on the modern Hebrew. But going back to the whole question of how you hear God, one of the things, oh, and I have to say something about Hebrew. I don't see the Bible as being the language of God, though a lot of our my traditional right. brethren and sisters have the concept that Hebrew was the language that God created the universe in, and I just see Hebrew as another language. It just mm-hmm. happens to be the story, that the language we wrote our stories in. But I don't see or hear God in any one language. Mm-hmm. I hear God in the language of occasion. That mm-hmm. is, things happen, mm-hmm. and they happen in many languages. So like the book of Esther. Right, where God is not mentioned at all. God's not mentioned at all, but can be found in the white spaces between each letter. Well, the funny part is that God, in terms of God's actions, saving the people, right. are in the hands of an intermarried Jewish woman whose name is Ishtar. <laughs> right. And her cousin, whose name is Marduk. Mm-hmm. And so they are the chief Babylonian idols. Right. Right? And so what you find is in the story of Esther, mm-hmm. God is about as surprising as possible, first of all, because God as a word and as a concept is silent. Mm-hmm. But God's actions are coming through non-Jewish names and sources and people who are in strange positions. And yet everything is being sort of directed and orchestrated in that book, right? So so that the reader comes away with the impression of God acting and speaking and working, even though we don't have any portion of that being described in the narrative. No. But everybody knows that it's there. Right, so this would be to your point, right, that you hear God through the matter of occasion. Right, and and so, uh, and I've talked about this with you before, and I think we even mentioned it in one of our podcasts. I call it irony dipity, Mm -hmm. serendipity in an ironic way. Things happen 
and then they they just happen. And one of the things that happened to me early when, when I was the rabbi at Stanford was I got there before students had answering machines. You know, mm-hmm. This is back before they even had telephones. No, they, they had <laughs> telephones, but they had no answering machines. And so uh, you had to call them at night, and maybe you'd catch them in their room studying, but you couldn't really call them during the day because they would usually be out in the class. And uh, my secretary always wondered that as soon as I would say I want to talk to somebody, by and large, they would walk in the door of the office. Wow. And she said, you must have ESP. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think so. But I went to get myself checked. (laughs) You know, and I did little the cards with the stars on them in the moon or whatever. And I didn't have any ESP. It was no more than 50%. And, uh, And the question was, why was that happening? And A, I was lucky. B, maybe things were happening for right. me. Right. But those ironically serendipitous mm-hmm. phenomena uh, happened to me all the time. So much so mm-hmm. that everybody in my office began to see it. Mm-hmm. All my kids and my wife have seen it. They just know that these things happen around me all the time. Now, am I different than other people? I don't think of myself as being different than other people. I right. just see myself as, you know, another person happened to get into this business or whatever it is. I mean, I was... Mm-hmm. I didn't get into it because I was called hmm. to it. I got into it because of ironically serendipitous things. <laughs> Do you know how I, I, told, did I tell you the story about how, why I became a rabbi? No, tell us. I became a rabbi because I was very active in youth group. And I just liked being in youth group. And I figured, oh, I just probably will spend a lot of my time in the synagogue working with kids and stuff. Oh, what the heck, much to be a rabbi. It wasn't like mm-hmm. I got this blazing vision of what I was supposed mm-hmm. to do. I just liked hanging out with Jews right, and, right. and studying this stuff. But why did I sort of go to youth group? It's because when I was in second grade, I was the only kid in the neighborhood that wasn't going to Sunday school. Hmm. So I asked my parents if I could go to Sunday school because I was you know, bored on Sunday mornings. And they sent me to a Jewish one. That's when I found out I was Jewish. <laughs> I didn't know. Because mm. uh, we didn't do anything in our home. Right. And so I was in the I was in the religious school, my, something for which my brother still blames me because he didn't particularly <laughs> want to go, but if I went, he had to go. And when we, when I got to confirmation class, which was sophomore in high school, uh, I was 15, and I got an invitation, like everybody in the class did, to come to a youth group event that was going to be in a nightclub on a Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. that was owned by a guy in the congregation. And I figured, wow, a nightclub. You know, that, sure. sounds, that sounds sexy. And then I walked in and all the kids are kissing each other and saying, good Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> and I'm going, sex, <laughs> open sex in a nightclub. This is youth group. Okay, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> so we have a phrase that says, it might not start off for the right reason, but it might right. end up in the right, right reason. And so I got into youth group because of, the promise of, actually unfulfilled promise, of sex. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Well, to, to be fair, nobody promised it. Nobody promised it, but I could see it happening <laughs> you, you, all around. You had some hope. I had some hope. And I, then unmet expectations. There were a lot of kisses, but that was about as much. <laughs> and, um, and they were all platonic kisses. But but it was nice, and, mm-hmm. and I got into it, and that's why I became a rabbi. But it had nothing to do with any kind of, hmm. what you would say, God saying anything. Right, right. But obviously God was saying things all along. Right. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that till much, 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 much later when I realized that I would see things happening 
in groups to me or to other right, things. Right. And that's how I've right. heard, right. if it were, God. Actually, it's more like I saw. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't reading any text. Right. I just was... It's similar to you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Right. So you may not be seeing God, but you're seeing the effects of God's presence in your life. Well, not only that, it's where it says, God says to Moses, you can't see my face. Right. You can only see my after. Mm-hmm. And most people translate acharai as my back. Mm-hmm. But an achar is not a back, it's an mm-hmm. afterwards. Right. right. You can only see when I've been here. Mm-hmm. You can't see me coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, beautiful. And so... Um, and that became very significant to me. So the big come down or the big put down for the expectation of somebody hearing God is Elijah. Right. In First Kings 18, when he's running away from my favorite name, Ahav, father, brother, brother, <laughs> father, you know, Ahab. And, uh, and he goes down to Mount Sinai, Horeb, and... Um, well, he's had just had this incredible experience, right? Yeah. And he, he, he fears for his safety and flees. And I was so sick that on, on our trip on that day, I couldn't hear you give the story of Mount right, when we were Elijah on Mount Carmel. Right. I yeah. had to stay uh, looking for medicines and Akko. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, so he gets to Mount Sinai, and there's a fire and an earthquake and wind, and, and God is not in any of those. And in the end, it says God, there was a... Called the Mama Daka, which is usually badly translated as still small voice. Mm-hmm. And the Hebrew actually is kol, which is a sound right. or a voice. The Mama, which is silent. Daka, which is thin. A thin, silent sound. Right. You have to translate it in English backwards and away from the Hebrew. If you have a thin, silent sound, and that's where God was, then... It's, God is not in the pyrotechnics or the cataclysm. Right, right. Not in these big, huge events that we all look for. Right. So, and, and so it's, it's open to interpretation, but, but God is in the silence. Y- yes. And I think so often when we read through our text, we're reading through... Um, quite a bit of history, but condensed, right? It's very short. It's this happened, then this happened, then this happened. They're not filling in every single gap. It's not um, narrating every single day. Uh, I think when we look at the Gospels, we can say, okay, it's covering about a three-year period. And yet when you look at how much information is actually given to you in those Gospels, um, it's it's really just covering a, a handful of days, yep. right? In, important days, weeks maybe, but not every single day of the three years. And when we look back then at these stories, we so often look back and say, wow, you know, I just wish God would speak to me that God, the way that God spoke to Abraham. Right. If only God would speak to me the way God spoke to Moses. But if you pay attention in all of these different types of events or to Elijah or others, um, it's a, there are many years in between, many, many, many. And, and really these huge events that are being described, like Abraham's conversation with God, then there's a gap. Of a lot of years until the next one. And when we read it, we're like, wow, Abraham and God just sound like they're just, you know, picking up the phone and calling each other direct every single day. But it's not. Well, they could have been. They could have been. But they weren't significant for the story. Right. It's not described. Right. And at least minimally, we can still let them be human and be 
it, it seems, you know, first we have a garden experience where God is walking in the cool of the garden. It's how it's described in Genesis. And, and Adam and Eve can have this sort of front, front facing conversation with God after he finds them and makes them some clothes. Cain can have a conversation with God that says, that's too hard for me. Make it easier, even though I just killed my brother. And then Abraham is having some sort of conversation with this thing that he can't see, but that is so convincing to him that he will up and leave all that he can see and all protections to go. But but I like the idea that maybe there was a, some big gaps of silence in between and that Abraham just keeps doing the last right thing he was told to do and the next right thing he knows to do. But that if we can sort of pull our biblical characters down off of their pedestals of exceptionalism and let them walk with human feet, we start to see that the way in which God is working with people changes over history, shifts according to time, and that it shouldn't be a shock to us that there are times in our lives where we just don't feel like God is close or present or allowed, um, that God's footsteps aren't as loud in different places where we live or in different times that we're living, and that that's okay. I, um, you don't have to feel bad about it. I once had dinner in a ultra-Orthodox household for Shabbat in Jerusalem, and uh, uh, this family had moved to Israel from New York. And I asked them, I said, you know, what's, what's the difference about being in Judaism here than when it was when you right. were living in New York. And the woman said, God's footsteps are louder in Jerusalem. Hmm. By which she did not mean she was hearing clippity-clop, clippity-clop all the not. time. Right. But she was feeling the impact of God's presence right. that much more directly. And, um, and I understand that. Right. Right. Uh, I, I don't have these kinds of conversations with or awarenesses of God every day, but I have them every week mm -hmm. and when I do it's not a matter that I've been directed to do something right almost always all it is is hello hmm. and it's nice and uh, uh, I used to have people come to me um, when I was at Stanford I would get a lot of students that have visions or dreams or whatever and sometimes I've had that in the congregation too but it was more often students and and they would say, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. God was talking to you. <laughs> well, similar to Eli and Samuel, right? Right. Go back in. Right. right. God is talking to you. I'm not calling you. Yeah. I don't know what the symbols of your life are. Mm -hmm. So when you tell me these things that happen mm -hmm. in your dream, I don't know what these things are in your life. Right. I mean, you can interpret right. them right. as right. much better than I can. But I said, most of the time, God is just saying hello. And I got to tell you that just hello is a lot. It is quite a bit. And it's, it's enough. It's enough. Yeah. And, and I think, um, it, so in, in our Christian practice, we have a lot of uh, church fathers and some church mothers and from the second century till today who have practiced the presence of God. Uh, St. Ignatius has a prayer that um, is encouraged to be said at the end of every day called the examine prayer. And it means that you go back on your day and you, you see at, so at the end of the day, you look back, okay, what happened today? Where was God? So part of it is to do, to That's look at cool. the after of God, right? And the examine prayer is to look back and say, oh, God, were you at the coffee shop? 
Were you, were you at the grocery store? Oh, you were there when I was folding laundry or you were there in the dishes or when my child said this or this interaction here. Where was it that you showed up and, and you acted today? So it, it's practicing an awareness of God's presence through spiritual disciplines. And that's a good way to put it because where was God today? The answer is everywhere that I was. Right. Because God is everywhere. God is and everywhere that I wasn't. And everywhere right. that I wasn't. I mean, right. the, the question is not where was God. Right. It's was I aware? Was I aware? There's a, a common prayer uh, just that's sort of thrown out prior to a lot of meetings in, in Christian practice where people, will, let's open up our meeting with prayer. You know, God be with us here. We just pray that your presence would be here. And I understand the intention behind all of that. But I've started changing it. Years ago, I started changing that prayer. Like, we're not going to beckon God's presence in this place. We're going to become aware that God is already here. That's right. And so instead, my prayer often is, make us aware of your presence. And the word for revelation in Hebrew, hmm. to reveal, is gilui. And gilui comes from the word for gal, from gal, which is a wave. So if you think about the wave uncovering the sand right. and then going back, nice. and it's uncovering things. And uh, and the, the things that were already there, that is... When you, revelation is not finding something new, it's seeing something newly. Mm -hmm. It's always been there. Right. I have a, a plaque on my, um, on, on the first wall you enter, when you w walk into my house, it's the first, one of the first things you see. And I love it, and I had Kevin get it for a gift for me years ago. And it says, bidden or not bidden, God is present. Right. But like so that the idea that whether we bid God to come and it's got that sort of ancient, the ancient language to it, because it's it's a God I wasn't piece, sure right? if you were saying bidden or, or Biden. Bitten. Yeah. Or all of the but um, whether we we ask God to come or not, God is here. And I like the constancy of that, those words in my home, that whether or not you. Um, or I sit in a place and ask God to come, God's already present. It's whether or not we want to turn our hearts towards God's presence. And in the practice of spiritual direction, which I have had a spiritual director and done quite a bit of um, spiritual director trainings, one of the things that, that my spiritual director does whenever I sit down and meet with her is she first lights a candle. And the practice of just lighting the candle, and she has something that she says right at the very beginning of that, um, it's just we now light a candle to draw our attention to the fact that God is present and that we want to become aware of God's presence in our lives. So it, it just starts with a very symbolic and physical act with even the sound of, I can hear in my head, you know, when the I, sound of the, candle, the sound of the match, match, right? And then the light of that small, tiny little tea light and, and the fragrance of that starting and immediately in that presence and in that moment, you know, my breath gets deeper. It, it, things slow down and I start to to think through and process um, not a conflict necessarily that I'm having in my life but you know how God is at work in my life and it, it's been in those meetings with her um, and with others like her in my life where there has been revelation um, I, w I remember talking about an upcoming upcoming trip that I was having I was going to go out of country um, on my own um, I was going to have to do quite a bit of 
traversing in order to go and see the friend that I wanted to see. So I was going to be on my own for some time. And I, I was telling my director how much I appreciated. I was looking forward to it and how Kevin had said, go do this because you need to go. This is part of what you do, right? I he I was in a season where I didn't quite feel like myself. And I told her, I said, when I travel on my own, um, there's a centering for me that happens. And so I explained, you know, I, I don't know which way to go. I, I've never been there before. I don't, I have to ask for help. I, I have to figure out a language. I have to figure out a money system or I have to figure out a transportation system. And in all of that disorientation, I somehow start to feel more grounded. And she says, so God, so she just is reflecting for me in that moment. She points out that in my life, um, God uses disorientation to get me oriented, kind of like shaking up a compass again. And it's in the disorientation that I find God's presence again. And just knowing that and having her reflect back that has opened up a door on every time I start to feel a little bit disoriented. It's sort of like a a big neon sign in my life, like, oh, here's your opportunity to point north again, to get centered again in the presence of Jesus. Everybody has... Everybody's a different person sure, with different needs and right. different histories and uh, different capabilities. And so when God talks to you, mm-hmm. God talks to you. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm writing right. a book now of, uh, for kids and I'm writing in kids language mm-hmm. and I can't write in grown up language. And when I catch myself writing right. in, in grown up language, <laughs> I stop and look for, you know, synonyms and things because I need to talk to them right because otherwise they won't hear it at all they mm-hmm. get bored i want to say one other thing so when hurricane harvey hit mm-hmm. um there was a discussion of was it somehow god's providence <laughs> right. uh, wreaking hell on houston for something and so ann coulter as she would saw it as being uh god's punishment for houston having elected a lesbian mayor who was no longer in office when it hit. And then somebody else said, no, it was retribution for America having elected Trump, who was in office when it hit. But, I mean, the thing is that, I I don't want to go into either one of those things. You can't know necessarily what the revelation you got is sending you toward. Sometimes it's saying, yes, you're on the right way, just by saying hello, you know, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to, I mean, unless you're Isaiah, you know, or Jeremiah, Hosea, whatever, unless you're somebody... Which all of them had pretty rough goes of it. They did, but but they were a, I mean, most of what Isaiah said was not prophecy in terms of foretelling the future. No. It was saying, you guys... It's present telling. It's present telling and speaking truth to power, and you guys are doing the wrong thing for right. good people, right. and you need to shape up and do the right thing. And you don't have to be in touch with a word-by-word dialogue with God to be yes. able to see that writing on the wall. Right, okay. right, absolutely. I'm mixing my metaphors there. No, you're absolutely correct. And I think, you know, the, the danger of... Um, only reading God through events, 
right? Or actions of God. So a hurricane's come, therefore that's Somebody bad and there must blame. be judgment yeah. or, or the eclipse is coming through. So we should all be very concerned about the apocalypse. And then somebody else wrote back afterwards, how American centric do you have to be to believe that the entire world is going to end because there's an eclipse in North America, <laughs> like, like all of the chaos and, and the things people try to assign reason to things that they find unreasonable or they want to find a sign or a wonder the danger of only um, doing this through irondipity, I think for either one of us, is that you can find a, you can find yourself in very weird places very quickly and then start assigning blame because of a of a particular mayor or political leader or whatever it is, which is, it didn't just, I mean, it happened with Katrina, it happened with all of these other... It happens with everything. Everything, right? A, a plane crash, all of these things, we try to assign some sort of... That's why I say reason. all God is saying usually is, hello... It, it That's can't, much, right. much less dangerous to think <laughs> much about. Much less dangerous to think about. But I was also just going to note that for both of us, um, how we perceive and understand God working in our world is grounded in our, our text, in right. our story. And when we um, see something like that, because we're both text centered in many ways, like, you know, sort of set on that foundation of either Torah or for me, Torah and Breed Harshan, New Testament, in those con connections, then I want to read what I experience and read my world and read my relationship with God in light of that text. And if I find myself coming to conclusions um, that I cannot um, rightly come to through a, an entirety reading of my text, then I, I need to recalibrate that. Um, and I, for me, there's been times where I feel like I've, I heard a voice, right? Maybe not an audible voice sitting outside me booming, but I, I heard it in me when I met my oldest daughter. Um, I was sitting there, we were, we were talking together and I said, um, you know, I, I was just like, do you pray? And she's like, I don't, I don't really pray and I don't really have anything to say to God. God doesn't have anything to say to me. And I'm so sure. And I'm sitting there in that moment and I, I'm without words. And I, I felt like in that moment, what I heard God say was, you can't tell her that I love her. She will not believe you. You have to show her. Absolutely. And that was it. I didn't get any other details, right? I didn't get any details on... So that means you're going to extend an invitation for her to come in and leave this country and move into your home. And this is all the things that are going to work out. I just walked away unable to talk for like the rest of the day. People would ask me how I was doing or what I was thinking. And I would start to speak and I would, it would get caught in my throat and I would, I would start to, to weep. And I just knew that the story that she had told me was a story that I was being called to pour love, God's love into. And all of that is set into my narrative, right? I can do that because I believe that God is love because Jesus told me to love because Jesus told me that people would know that I am his follower by our love. All of those things, this is my context for, for being able to hear that direction in that moment and then being able to express that out. That's how you, the person who is you with the symbols in history that is you would interpret the events of the revelation that you got. Right. And also Harvey, right? I, Hurricane I, Harvey. Right. I wouldn't sit there not and Harvey say, the big, not Harvey, the, right. I wouldn't <laughs> sit there and say, let me try to understand the meaning for the pain. 
right? Instead, I would try to bring love to where people are hurting. But that's because of the commands that I see in both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures that push me to that. Do you know what the biggest lesson that most people got from Hurricane Harvey? Hmm. Is that even though the country is nasty right now with people not talking to each other, when Hurricane hit, people just did good things for each other. And I think that that's actually what's happening every day. That's what people cherished. But it's also not what's getting shown. So we think that these very small, I mean, only what's sensational and ugly and awful or incredibly heroic gets into our social media feeds or new. I mean, it's all with editorial looks. People aren't talking about the the day-to-day somebody gets sick in your neighborhood and you bring over um, you know, some food or or somebody um, has a car accident and they're without a car and so somebody else donates. People don't talk about that. That doesn't hit the news, but I think that's the day-to-day good. As we practice the presence of God and try to see God, um, whether we are asking for God's presence or not, God being there, as we seek to find God in the loud voices and in the thin, silent places, it, it's a choice, isn't it? to start to choose to tune our hearts towards the divine. So when I was leaving Stanford and about to go to the congregation, it was a time of, you know, I'd been at Stanford for 21 years and now I was going to do something else. And I, you know, anyway, so I heard a song on the radio and the chorus was a change will do you good. <laughs> nice. And I didn't know who was singing it and I didn't know where it was. And my daughters were having piano lessons in this one place downtown Palo Alto. And across the street from there, there was a CD store. That mm. tells you how old the story is. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said I would walk over there and ask the clerk if he would recognize right. the song. I walked over to the store. I walked in the door. There's a man standing in front of the counter talking to the clerk. And the clerk says, Cheryl Crow. <laughs> and that was the singer. Right. And that was the name of the album. Right. And I went over and found it right away. I didn't even have to ask him anything. To me, right. the irony dippany right. of walking in the door with that question, yeah, God's sure. voice was actually right. audible right. from outside of me. <laughs> right. And the answer was Sheryl right. Crow. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, to, and the change did do me good. And it did you good. <laughs> and... It's so funny that you would share that story about that time of your transition because I have a similar story, but you were the actor in it at my transition. So when I was leaving my last pastorate and we were praying about starting something new, you know, you and I months before, and I hadn't mentioned it to you, we were sitting there having a conversation and I had been for months as I was dreaming about starting Spark Church uh, where will it be, God? Will it be? And it was a question, not I want it here. Will it be in a church? Will it be in a school? Will it be in a home? But every time I would drive by Congregation Eitz Chaim, where you were a rabbi, I would crane my neck and keep staring at the building. So I loved the space and the building. I felt at home there and in so many ways. But I never said, would it be at a synagogue? Because to me, that thought just sounded too absurd. Why would any... Um, reasonable Jewish persons want to invite in Christians when there's been so much harm done um, in the name of Jesus by Christians towards the Jewish people. If I were protecting a Jewish community, if I were the spiritual leader, I would say, please, like, no, you cannot go in, right? And so when you and I were meeting, you said, what, what are you doing? And I was like, well, you know, I think we're going to start something new. 
we're going to start a new church. And he said, oh, where are you going to meet? So I'm not sure yet. Well, you can meet here. I was shocked. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know how to respond. Oh, okay, well, you know, maybe. Yeah, well, we'll think. And then you let a few minutes pass. And he said, Danielle, did you hear me? I said you can hang your shingle here. And I was like, okay, Ari, okay. And I got in the car and I cried. And I called Kevin. Do you know what Ari just said? Ari said they would consider letting us meet in, in space. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, but isn't that amazing? And I told my friend, I said, I feel like this little girl with her nose pressed against the storefront window. And I'd been staring at schools and churches and homes, but in the corner is this really beautiful space where I feel connected to God's presence. And I feel connected to, to the Jesus that I love, the first century Jewish Jesus. And, and so as a, the little girl outside that window, I would fog up that portion of the window and just make, I'd have to keep wiping it clean because I was staring at that. And my, my friend said, Danielle, I said, so I said to her, but I never asked God for it. I never asked God for it. And she said, a father doesn't have to be told which one a daughter wants, which made me cry again. <laughs> but I didn't ask you for it, Ari. You offered it. And it was again that moment of irondipity where we feel like God is leading us and guiding us. And it's been such a blessing. We're coming up on our five-year anniversary in October. Wow. Five years. Well, as we get ready for the high holy days, uh, the new year when we think about making changes, uh, Cheryl Crow, <laughs> a change a will change do you will good. A change will do you good. And uh, listen for the thin, silent, silent sound. sound. <laughs> Amen. A change.